Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Bloke Pod. Two, big 2-0. Big yep. Coxie, you could say. That's right. We've got Big Cox here at the Bloke Pod. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Greetings, fellas. <laughs> Hi, I'm doing Cox. <laughs> so, we're Australian Auto Fair offense <laughs> oh, for the win. No, yeah, just, just stop. Yeah. This is a bad start to the episode. There's no way to go from yeah. here but up. Um, right, let's jump straight into it. We're going to go a few footy questions off the cuff. Return to our sporting roots. Top ten. Yeah. Top ten yep. footy questions. Let's go with that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so interesting year so far. At this particular point in time, there's only five teams alive. One due, one due to go oh, down in a couple of hours. You uh, could say. Uh, Adelaide really alive. Really? Yeah. Really? They've got Hawthorne next week. Yeah, They're done. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody, I think everybody's fighting for the right to come second. Certainly Here's not hoping. to party. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. There's a reason why Hawthorne are a $1.75 favourite for the flag. Those are some good odds right there. I never understand why you can get such good odds on the Premiership, like, a week well, before the game. Because could, you well, won't get anything like that heads up on the day, let me no, tell No, that's you. exactly right. I mean, yeah. I, but having said that, I couldn't believe Geelong was $7 before the final started. Mm, yeah. Which was, which was shorter than the West Coast Eagles. Who were who were playing witches hats? Yeah, as it turned out. Yeah, blue and white ones. Yeah, that's right. Which might not be the best yeah. for directing traffic. But no, that's right. Yeah. Andrew Andrew Swallow, Jack Zebel, Scott Thompson, and nineteen blue and white <laughs> witches hats. As it turned out, oh, that was embarrassing. And, and one, that was a bad and one dick who's out for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it was an embarrassing weekend for the Scott sisters. It was indeed. Yeah. Tears of a Scott sister. That's right. <laughs> Flooding Victorian dams near you. <laughs> The jab is over, people. All right. Look, let's get straight into it. My first question, which I'm going to just throw out there, which is a nice nice sort of general one for <laughs> for the start of the podcast, is best team of all time. Do we go with Brisbane? Do we go with Geelong? Do we go with, you know, the Collingwood team? Are we the talking... Oh, sort of? no, let's not even contemplate going back that far. <laughs> I, I'm with... All right, well, let me put it this way, then. Brisbane... At the turn of the century versus Geelong at the turn of the decade. I'm going to go with Brisbane. Um, my reasons for going with with Brisbane is that I think it's harder for interstate teams to win premierships. So I think for them to win, first of all, they actually went back to back twice, as it turned out, yeah. winning three in a row. Geelong didn't even do that once. Yeah. So Geelong had a better five-year period. There's no question of that. But um, I, because well, I mean, well, they both got to four grand finals actually, as it turns mm-hmm. out. But um, I just think that interstate and inter, for an interstate team to win three premierships back to back was was incredibly impressive. Um, I was going to say you don't think the home ground advantage. Tempers that somewhat, although I suppose Geelong have a similar one with some. Um, yeah, I w- well, no, it, I, I don't think it would. I, it, Brisbane, I, Brisbane less so, I think. I just, that team was stacked. Mm. Is that they had, they had a fantastic gold goal line. When you go Michael Lepich, Voss, Brown, Lynch, up the guts, with Bradshaw sitting in a pocket... Mm. I mean that's that's pretty impressive. You've got Black Lappin, Akamanis, Power, and Voss. 
with Voss running through that midfield with with guys like Ashcroft and Hart who are very very yeah. good at doing p- particular jobs and the aforementioned Scott you know, sisters yeah the aforementioned Scott sisters um, somebody guys like um, Martin Pike and Daryl White who are actually really good role players who could play both small and tall. Uh, you know, the only question mark you would have had over them would have been their ruck stocks during that particular time, but Clark Keating always managed to come up with the goods deep in finals. Yeah, I... I so we're going Brisbane. I'm going Brisbane, yeah. Fair enough. All right, the second one, which oh, I think this one's a lot easier, but um, West Coast 92 or West Coast 06? Ooh. You think that's easier? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I think I'd go 92 with a bullet. Yeah, I'd lean that way too. Because they had a key forward. <laughs> uh, I'd lean to... I mean, the big question mark that, that the, the Eagles teams of the early 90s actually had was that they, they struggled across half forward with, with the key... The stat seconds key forward. I mean, they had mm. Sumich... You know, guys like Hetty and Lewis were really needing to play a bit taller than they were. Yeah. I mean, it worked all right for them. The 92 team was certainly more versatile. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, they, the, the, the strengths that the, the, the 06 team's strength was pretty much its midfield and its, its ruck. Yeah. Having Dean Cox in the ruck. Mm. The, the aforementioned Coxie. Um, <laughs> 92 had a pretty good midfield as well. Um, yeah, Kemp and Matera. Kemp, Matera, main wearing. Yeah. Um, you know, Evans, guys like that. Um, Don Pike, who was very underrated. Um, I think the 92 back line would have, would have absolutely owned the 06 forwards. With, other um, than Glassy. Well, well Glassy would have played on Sumich and probably yeah. played him... Played him to a standstill, but yeah. the issues, yeah, uh, there would have been there would have been a lot of matchup problems down back for the 016. Yeah, yeah. Um, Judd and Matera probably cancelled themselves out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kemp and Cousins and Mainwaring and Kerr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the the wild, I mean, the wild card that the 016 had was Embui that the 92 guys probably didn't have a similar type of guy. But mm. that's, yeah, I, I think that I'd expect, you know, if they're at their peak, 92 probably wins by four or five goals. Yeah. Fair enough. It's tough. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, that's a... Uh, the, the 92 teams, the 06 teams close to my heart as well, but the 92 team being the first ones to, to win it. Back in the days when... You generally had to travel a lot to win finals, yeah. and that it was it was a lot it was a lot harder for I think the, the teams then, and the league was also a lot stronger at that particular point in time too. Well, that's right. The biggest criticism you can have of the '06 team is that they didn't really beat anyone of note the year they won the flag. <laughs> well, I also thought that '06 was '05 and '06 was a little bit of a lull period. The only really, I mean, the only really good team during that time I thought was Adelaide. And yeah. the Eagles had their measure. Yeah. Um, Sydney Sydney dragged it down into a pretty ugly type yeah. of... Uh, From which the game has yet to emerge. Yeah. 
So, um, but I, yeah, I, I just think that 92 has 92 has more firepower, uh, and I, I could see 06 really struggling to yeah. match up with them. I'm going to pose a question to you. Is uh, Australia falling beneath Ireland in <laughs> the T20 perhaps the, the most disappointing element of Australian cricket? Oh, yes and no. I discussed this with a friend during the week and his, his comment was, it's T20, so who gives a shit? My comment back to him was, can we at least get our ranking above the non-test playing nations, though? Which yeah. is a fair call. Um... Given that it's coincided with a revival of our test fortunes, I'm going to say no. I'm happy for us to stay down there if we if we continue to um, yeah whitewash teams like India. Yeah. But having said that, I think we're going to get pummeled by South Africa this summer, and I think we're going to lose the Ashes in about nine months' time now. So yeah, it's. <laughs> It's sort of a symptomatic of a general decline across the board. And the less said about our one-day side at the moment, the better. Mr Cricket aside, the rest of them just don't want to be out there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it it is hard to believe, though. I mean, we did win 12 in a row, I think, when Clark was captain, 12 2020s in a row. So you'd have to question whether George Bailey has really been an inspired choice. Um, well, you actually have... I think the sub-question is, what's their strategy with regards yeah. to T20? I mean, when, when we had someone like Gilly opening, it was just so easy. Mm. You'd have someone who'd go out there and boss the ball around. David Warner likes to pretend that he's Gilly, but he's a very, he's a very poor man's Adam Gilchrist, as far as I'm concerned. And right now, I think... Yeah, the whole team seems to lack. Yeah, suffer from a lack of almost identity. Hmm. The you don't have an Andrew Simons who's going to come in and just smash the ball around at the end. You, you don't have sort of a, a Ricky Ponting who you know if he gets in he's going to he's going to score a century. There's no one in that team who you think is capable of making a big score. Really, Huss will come in at the end and score fifty or forty balls as he always does. But there's no one out there who you think they're going to bat for, you know, 30 overs and just take the game away from the opposition. And then the bowling, well, the best thing I can say about our bowling is that Mitchell Johnson is currently our top-ranked one-day bowler. That more or less speaks for itself, doesn't it? Xavier Doherty is absolutely shithouse. How he ever gets a game is just beyond me. I just don't rate him at all. I think, if nothing else, let's give Nathan Lyon a taste of international experience because he's going to be our test spinner for several years to come um and yeah with with the keeping as well i mean matthew wade and brad hadn't both liked to think of themselves as again sort of adam gilchrist's but they don't seem to know whether to bat them at one at four or at seven um they don't seem to know what to do with shane watson they, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. I think at least in the test arena, there's a sense of direction and, <laughs> and, and purpose. Whereas in the coloured clothes versions of the game, yeah, it's, it's not exactly inspiring right now. Yeah. Alright, so I'm going to put my interviewer back, hat back on here and turn back to you. Um, L. Franklin or N. Nananui, who do you take and why right now? If you're building a team from scratch... 
it would. Oh, yeah, it's. It, I don't want to go with the cop out. It depends answer. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you're yeah. building a team from scratch. So if you were to pick the all Australian oh, team, I think. Yeah, well, that's a different question once again. I think if I'm building a team from scratch, the way that I'm thinking about this is that really my premiership window is four or five years down the track. Yeah. That being the case, I think in Latanui is probably just hitting his peak. L. Franklin's probably starting to go on the downside. That's a big call. He's only 25, isn't he? Yeah, but I'll, I'll... I mean, even if you're asking me that question right now, I, I, I like to think of it in this particular way. If you removed all restrictions with regards to trading and and the like, take away the salary cap, everybody's draft on the open market, yeah. and you're, draft, you're starting from scratch, who would get the most in a trade? I think Nat Nui would get more than Franklin right now. That's a big question. And... It's people punting on his potential, admittedly, rather than what he's actually delivered. But where he's going to be in two to three years' time, barring a major injury, is scary. Do you really believe that, though? I think people have been saying that about Nanu for years. I think, to put it... People... is a really interesting test case. I think that... If you ever want to know how much somebody knows about football, you ask them what they think of Natanui. He's still very young. He's still very inconsistent. There's, you know, there's no doubt in that. He doesn't but have a big tank either. He'll, have a, he'll have a good quarter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, inconsistent from week to week, yeah. but also within a game, game as well. To, yeah, yeah, within a game itself. But having, you know, having said all of those things... People, when people bash Natanui, the first thing that they generally say is that, look at his stats, they don't really say a hell of a lot. Mm. He's the type of guy that hurts you with 15 disposals because he generally gets them contested. Yeah. And he does a lot of, he does a lot of things that you generally can't measure. And Natanui knocking the ball 20 metres forward to a streaming Luke Shuey is one hit out. Yeah. It's one incredibly dominant hit out. Yeah. But it's one hit out, and it only counts as one hit out. Um, Can I make my counter argument? <laughs> for me, it's a no-brainer. You pick Franklin every time, and the, the simple reason for that is because he can win a game for you by himself. And he's, he's done that in the past before. He's done that to Adelaide in, in the finals in 2000, uh, 2007. Um, and I think he... You'd always take a key forward over a ruckman because I think a key forward, if he's on song, he can do what he did to North Melbourne this season and and play three good quarters and kick 12 goals in three quarters. I think at the end of the day, I'd always take that over a ruckman whose role is always going to be somewhat more limited. Mm. See, I'm of the belief that... Um, key forwards get you to grand finals, but they don't win you grand finals. It's you invariably win grand finals from the midfield, mm. and in order to get that midfield dominance, you really need to have an advantage in the ruck. That's my. If if I'm building a team, I I think that the ruck and rock people like Grant Thomas like to marginalise the ruck roll, but I think that it's incredibly important with regards to to how you can control and manipulate a game. I'm not disputing... I mean, if you're saying pick a key forward, you pick Franklin 100 no. times out of 100. 
it's and I mean to put that into perspective, Paul Deere, I think, is the last Norm Smith medalist who was essentially a key position player. We're talking nineteen ninety one. Mm. When did Lockett win his? Lockett's never won a Norm Smith. Oh, Norm Smith, so yeah. no, Brown, like Norm So yeah. I mean, the, the the point, the problem that you have with teams that get to grand finals is that they generally have good defensive structures, so they can actually marginalise a good key forward. Whereas it's a little bit di- more difficult to get that control around a midfield. Mm. So I think that you have to weigh up all of those types of things. I mean, to to put the question. To, to turn the question around a little bit, if the Eagles and the Hawthorne are discussing a Franklin for Natanui trade, it's not an even trade, so where are the draft picks going from? From who to who? See, I think they're going from West Coast. Well, I think I that think... the Eagles would say, Hawthorne would say, wow, Natanui's available and we could, we'd think about that. I think the Eagles would say, nah, we've got Kennedy, we don't need him. Hmm. We don't need Franklin. Yeah, see, if you look at where they both those teams currently are, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. That's and I, I think that when you're thinking about these things, they're the types of things that you weigh up. Particularly because Jared Ruffin is now considered the number one ruckman at Hawthorne, mm. which is just a well, joke. So it's always a tough. I mean, that's a tough question when you're trying to stack player versus player up. As I say, you, th- I, I, you think about it in terms of that situation. I'm of the belief that Hawthorne would have to throw draft picks in to get Nat Nui. They wouldn't be able to trade Franklin straight up for him. Fair enough. So, going to put you on the spot. Back to me. Name three cricketers. Mm-hmm. That you feel are overrated. Overrated. And explain why you feel they're overrated. Alright, well the first one is definitely David Warner. Because I think he hit 80 odd against South Africa on debut. And he has failed to perform anywhere near that level since. He hit a decent century against India. Where, to be honest, the Indian team weren't out there. I was at the game that day, and I remember just saying to my dad, "You could, you could, you know, you could do whatever you wanted out there right now, and the Indians wouldn't mm. wouldn't say boo." Quite honestly, he he bullied around an attack that was completely dispirited and was just waiting for the end of the day. Um, so he would definitely be my number one. My number two, I'm being a bit biased here, but I'm just thinking of Australia at the moment before I expand outwards, but my number two would be Brad Haddon, because he's the worst wicketkeeper that we've had in my lifetime. And I'm not of the opinion that you need to be a wicketkeeper who can score runs. I think your top six should be scoring runs, you should be taking catches and creating dismissals behind the wicket, and he just doesn't do that at all. And I think right now there are, I would take Luke Bronke over Brad Haddon, put it that way. Uh, blokes like Tim Payne, Matthew Wade, there are so many guys right now who I'd have a head of Luke Neville? Yeah. <laughs> Even in his own state. <laughs> yeah. Purely because they can catch and Haddon can't. <laughs> so that's a very simple one. And oh, the other one you always got to go is Mitchell Johnson. Because even when he's not getting a game, the fact that he's still being talked about is even, you know, being within shouting distance of a baggy green. If he gets a baggy green again, I will claw my own eyes out right now. Because you've got blokes like Hilfi, Harris, Stark, Cummins, Siddle. There are so many guys who should be in front of him in the pecking order right now. 
The bloke cannot hit the same spot on the pitch twice if his life depended on it. Oh. He is so inconsistent. And while he's good, maybe better than anyone else in the world, we get to see that once every 10, 15, 20 test matches, and yeah. that's it. And they're all usually played at the Wacker. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, or in South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think... So, yeah, they'd, they'd be my three. If you were to ask me internationally... Yeah, I was going to say, is this, therefore the second question is known three internationals. It's a tough one because you have to think about how much... Can I, can I throw one forward for you? Who I, can I throw one forward for you who I think is definitely overrated? MS Stone. Yeah, that's fair enough. He's, he's, he shouldn't be in the test side right now. Hmm. And rumour has it that um, there are selection decisions being made at the second tier in India to keep certain wicketkeepers down so that they don't show him up horribly. Mm. This, this is what I've heard, is that there are plenty of keepers right now who who would be leaps and bounds ahead of Dhoni and they're getting held back because Dhoni is the... Yeah. The poster the, boy of Indian cricket. Well, he's the new Tendulkar. Yeah. yeah. He's the new Messiah. Yeah, that's, that's a very good one. Yeah, and he's... I mean, the thing about Dhoni, the reason why I say that is, is that... I, I like to use the phrase downhill skier when it comes to football, but yeah. he's the type of guy who, who very rarely makes runs. You know, save for the World Cup final, he's never really made runs in pressure situations. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, he he cashes in a bit when the going's good. He's not the... He, he's a flat track bully. Yeah, flat track bully. Let's go with that. Yeah. If you had to ask me underrated, I could come up with some, but... <laughs> Yeah, overrated. I another one that comes to mind is Mornay Morkel, who I think benefits so much from playing in the same side as Dale Stane. I mean, if you put it on him to be the leader of that attack, I think he would flounder. And I think he's another guy who's very inconsistent. And he he is given license to come in and and boss boss batsman around with his bouncer because he's got Stane and Philander keeping things tight and taking wickets at the other end. I think he's, yeah, he benefits greatly from, from the company he keeps. Can I throw a third name forward then that's equally similar to that, I think? Yes. Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad, his, his track record against the good teams is not yes, that flat. Yeah, I... Before the England-South Africa series this summer, I did some research, and him and James Anderson both. I mean, Jimmy, his figures um, suffer from the 2006 Ashes series when he was absolute cannon fodder for Punter and Huss. I just remember Punter just hooking him into oblivion throughout the first couple of tests of that series. So I think his figures against us, yeah, suffer from, from oh. his... Somewhat <laughs> moderate beginnings, um, but Stuart Broad. The thing I like about him is he he can bat a bit, and I mean, there's, there's something just spectacular about an all rounder, isn't there? You look at yeah, you look oh. at someone like Andrew Flintoff. They can win. They can win a series for you by themselves because they can bat and bowl. And I think Stuart Broad in the recent uh, the series against India. He made some really key runs for them at important mm. times in that series. And even though he, he, he may not have been taking wickets at the time, the runs that he scored 
I mean, he was taking wickets at the time too, but the runs that he scored were actually far more important. I just think that, yeah, I just think he gets exposed a little bit too much in good in 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 important series. Mm. He he uh, he flanders a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Relative, how how well he's relatively rated is always a question. As exactly. Well, I mean, the biggest problem with him too is temperament, mm. because you think when push comes to shove, he has the capacity to transform into a whiny, petulant little daddy's boy. Mm. Um, and we've seen that happen before. I mean, we saw during the first test of the South African series, he was very much down on pace. Oh. And pretty much, yeah, was flat for the rest of the series from there on in. But, um, yeah, I think he's not someone like... Someone like a Tim Bresden, who's probably far less talented, but you know that every single match you're going to get 100% out of Bresden come yeah. or high water. You wouldn't necessarily say that about Stuart Broad. Oh. Okay, so given you've told us who you think the, the most overrated are and you've got some underrated people in mind... Who are they? Well, the first... We've discussed this in a previous one, but the first underrated one is Graham Smith, who I think just does not get anywhere near enough credit for the role he's played in taking South Africa from chokers to champs. Um, the guy has averaged yeah, mid-70s in England against, against the Poms, which is the second best non-English batting average of all time, second only to Bradman. Um, he's now single-handedly seen off three of his English counterparts, which which sort of speaks for itself. And I think... Yeah, one, one of his countrymen. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. And I think if, if push came to shove today and you were in a fourth innings run chase and you had to pick a team to bat for your life, Graham Smith, 100 times out of 100, is the first name I'll write down on the list. There's no one else I would think of who scores tough runs for his team when they need it most. And his captaincy, he's really grown into the captaincy as well. I mean, when he first got the captaincy, he was probably too young to really <laughs> know what to do with it. But it's a bit... It, it reminds me a lot of Alan Border in that his his tenure has now gone on for that long that it's impossible to think of anyone else doing well, the job besides he, him. He passed Border in the recent series for most yeah. matches as a captain. Which, which I thought might never be broken, mm. <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah, he, he would definitely be right up there in terms of most underrated. The second one who we've discussed before is Matt Pryor, who I think in the history of Test cricket, there are very, very few wicketkeepers who I'd select ahead of him in an all-time 11. I mean, his keeping itself, much like Gilchrist's, has really improved over time. But as a... Tough, nuggety batsman who comes in at number seven and basically can stick around and, and smack a 50 for you when you fire for a 100-odd. He's very, 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 very adept at um, tailoring his batting to suit the situation. I think he can come in and, and hit a quick 50 off 30 balls when you need to take the game away from your opposition, but he can also come in and hit a 50 off 150 balls when you're trying to save a game. So he is another guy I'd, I'd definitely have up there. Um, oh, the underrated tag is a bit difficult then because I think Syed Ajmal is possibly the most outstanding spin bowler I've ever seen, which is a big call. But I think his whether or not it's legal <laughs> remains to be seen. 
But his ability... I think you went, I think you went to the Murray school of yeah, action. But. His ability to spin the ball both ways and keep batsmen confused, no one else has ever been able to do that. I mean, Warney's wrong and was always his weakness. He never had a really good wrong and. And I think Warney's strength came from the ones that didn't spin, so the zooter or the slider or whatever he liked to call them, but basically the ball that the batsman was playing for a foot and a half of spin and didn't get any. Um, Whereas I think Ajmal's variations... I mean, I was recently watching the the series against um, Australia played in 40-degree heat at at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Um, And Michael Hussey, who's... Probably along with Michael Clark, the best player of spin in the Australian lineup, was beaten all ends up a couple of times by mm. deliveries. He he was letting them go, and they were coming back to just miss the stumps. Um, and Arjmal, yeah, to give Huss his credit, he still made fifty odd in the match I was watching. But mm. there were a couple of deliveries he had no clue about them. And I think yeah, to be doing that to Mr. Cricket, you you definitely have to be doing something right. He is quite well regarded by everyone except the uh, voting committee for the ICC's team of the year. So whether or not he's so much underrated... Yeah, I think most people would say he's the best spinner going around. Mm. I mean, him and Swanee, definitely. And Swan's biggest weakness is that he doesn't have one that goes the other way. Now, the reason he doesn't is because he says he doesn't know how to bowl one legally. Mm. So again, yeah, you go into that whole murky area about the 15 degrees of... Separates and that, yeah. But um, yeah, that question mark aside, I think yeah, Ajman's record, particularly in recent times, does speak for itself. Yeah. Okay. Changing sports. Western Bulldogs, Melbourne, Port Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Which one of those three teams do you think is going to play finals first, and why? Really tough question. I mean, if you had to pick one of the three right now, you'd pick the doggies every single time because, I mean, Melbourne have no one. <laughs> but Melbourne have Jack Grimes and Nathan Jones and and Mitch Clark when he's fit again. But other than that, that's it. Port Adelaide have just had a player pass away, and you th- I mean, that was of all the things of all the clubs that that could have happened to. Yeah, it had to be Port Adelaide, didn't it? The year that they've had. They have just been terrible this season. Um, and off-field financially in that they're basically being propped up so that the AFL can continue to offer us nine games a week. Mm. Well, they're um, kind of holding... They're kind of trying to hold them up till they get to the Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think when you look at all three teams, if the Doggies had a key forward they would have definitely finished a lot higher this season. That's what they're really crying out for right now. I think when you've got Boyd and Griffin in your team, you're going to be doing all right around the clearances. Um, And the rest of the side, it seems to, you know, it holds up well enough. But your biggest problem is when you sort of look up and you see Tory Dixon and Daniel John Syracuse as your two key forwards, you think, yeah, we really need... (laughs) We really need some height and some some bulk up forward. Mm. So I, it won't be for many years that they're playing finals. Let's put it that way. It, it could be you know five years down the track, I'd say. But gun to my head, 
if I had to pick a team to sneak into the eight, I would go Melbourne purely because I think there's more young talent there that they might be able to build, whereas the Doggies, all their good players are actually coming to the ends of their careers. Yeah. I'd pick Melbourne for the exact reason that you just mentioned, and it's coupling that with the fact that they're basically in this upcoming draft going to have four picks pretty much in the top 20. And they're going to get Viney. And they'll, free, get, they'll they? probably get Viney for their second round yeah. pick, who's going to be a... Everybody's saying he's probably not good enough to go top two, so they might not have to use their first round picks yeah. on him. So they, they may well end up in this draft with four or five of the top ten kids. Yeah. Which you'd think it's it's not the type of thing that's going to pay dividends now, but it's the type of thing that's going to pay dividends four or five years. Just ask GWS. Down the track. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's exactly right. You look at the model that GWS has used to try and build a team, it's no. similar thinking. Um, I think that, the as you said, the, the problem with the Bulldogs I see is there's, there's two issues. The first one I see is that, as you've quite rightly pointed out, their best players are probably on the downward part of their careers yeah. now. They would be best to follow a Hawthorne model from, say, 05, 06, where they traded out the guys that they could now to really bottom out hard. They have two picks early on in this upcoming draft as well, but maybe they could move Brian Lake for mm. another first-round pick. Jeez, Hawthorne would kill for Brian Lake, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's probably... I mean, he's. if you look at where they're at, he's probably not going to be around when they're yeah. contending. There's a couple of other guys who they could very much get some decent currency for as well. So it's probably worth having a, having a go with regards to that. Then they would stand a chance. But, yeah, the problem that the Bulldogs have had is, is that they've recruited a lot of tall guys and none of them have worked out. Mm. There's... You know, they waste, they've essentially wasted a first-round pick on Jared Grant, who's just mm-hmm. not come good at all. They, you know, they drafted Ace Cordy with the, yeah. under the father-son, which turned out to be a first-round pick. He hasn't really come on. Um, Jordan Roughhead's shown some signs, but they've been playing him as a key defender when I think that he's actually a ruckman. Yeah. They've got a lot of ruckmen that aren't really ruckmen. Um, their tall guys just haven't... And William Jones... I don't know what happened to Liam Jones this year. He just completely disappeared. But there's some there's some issues there. I think that the other reason why I would I would take Melbourne is that I really think that Mark Neal's going in there with the right philosophy. He's you know he's he's clearly got a plan in mind. I just hope that they give him the time to execute it properly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's clear that. So, you know, with some of the older guys who are coming through that they haven't bought into what he's trying to do, so he'll offload them as quickly as possible, replace them with guys that are willing to yep. to build in the system, and then they'll be in a, I think that they'll be in a better place. And I think, yeah, if we're talking about underrated cricketers, I think Jack Grimes had a very, very underrated season. Well, yeah, I mean... I thought he played very well for them this year. Well, for first, firstly, he finally stayed on the park all year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's always been a good player. He just could never stay fit. Um, but for a young captain, given yeah. that sort of responsibility, I think he really sort of took on that leadership role with mm. both hands. Well, I think, and I think that the thing that we'll find in hindsight is not only getting that free hit to get Jack Viney, but the two draft picks that they're going to get, as it's turned out for Tom Scully, will prove to be more useful to them than, than Scully Tom would Scully have himself. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that they, you know, that that's, that really helped them. And, you know, if, if Jack Watts ever turns out to be what he should be, then... Um, Big if. Yeah, <laughs> then they could really come on quick. Yeah. Uh, I think, as you said, with Port, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what to make of Port. But They're I, just culturally the only thing, dead, aren't they? The They're, only thing that yeah. I know for sure is, is that I'm not expecting them to see him in the finals anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah. But they, 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 I mean, you really think they need to just clean house there. Mm. They need to rebuild from the ground up because what, what they've got there at the moment is a house of cards. Mm. And it's already started to come down with the coach and the, I mean, the and CEO who was... Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm actually surprised Travis spoke where he signed there. Mm. Yeah. Um, I really am. I thought that you've got to be seeing something that no one else can see, can't, don't you? Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, it's a, it's a, it was a really strange one. So um, maybe he wants to be a big fish in a little pond for the rest of his career. Maybe mm. it's hard to say, but uh, yeah, that was. I, 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 I think Melbourne's yep. out of those three. I would, I would bank on Melbourne, but yeah, we're not. I don't think we'll be seeing it for a couple of years at least. Yeah. 